What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the Final Whistle Sports Podcast. As you can see, I have my Warriors gear on today. It's been a very nice weekend as a Warriors fan dominating the Denver Nuggets. But we're not talking basketball today. We're talking football, and I have a returning guest. It has been over a year. It's hard to imagine that I have my favorite comedian that's been on the show, Dean Blandino, who is also the Fox Sports rules analyst for college football and the NFL and the newly rehired for the XFL in a vice president role, as well as innovation of officiation, officiating, excuse me, Dean, how are you? It's been a year. I can't believe it's been that long. How has everything gone? I know it's, it feels like forever. And then it feels like yesterday at the same time, I am, I'm doing well. Congrats on your warriors. They're looking good. I'm not watching basketball at the moment because my Knicks are not, didn't have a, a very good year. So I'm kind of off basketball for the moment. Oh, I, I can't blame you for taking basketball off because just based off of the Stephen A. Smith rants that I see about the Knicks, it can only yeah. create more and more turmoil for you guys. Yeah. But we're going to talk some football today. We're going to break some stuff down that we thought was really intriguing as well as spring football actually started to take place with the USFL that took place this weekend. They had eight teams, they had four games. Three out of the four are relative, relatively competitive. Dean, I wanted to get your understanding of what you think this league is going to be. I know you're just start, going to be back with the XFL for 2023. You also did work with the AAF. What has you seen in this past weekend, if you want at all, and what you see in the USFL? Yeah, I watched quite a bit. And, and look, spring football, we've been through this. This goes back to the, you know, the, the, the old USFL days and, and the XFL days. And now we've had the AAF, XFL, USFL. And, um, I think what the fans love football, they want more football. You think of the gaming aspects, sports betting, things like that. Live sports are, are such a valuable commodity and anytime you can present and when you're presenting the way they're doing on Fox Sports and NBC, it's it's a great way to present a football game. And you just have to kind of now build that momentum. And that's what we feel like we did with the XFL in 2020. We started to gain some traction within the individual markets, fan bases. The product on the field was really good. The presentation was really good. And I think that's what you have to continue to do. Unfortunately, in 2020, we couldn't really anticipate the pandemic. And, and I think we're all excited about the possibility of spring football, um, see how the USFL does. And then next spring, you know, we're going to get going and, and just have a great team in place and just really excited about what it can what it can become. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think I think this past weekend was a little bit of just trying to rekindle the flame that is spring football, especially with gap since COVID hit the end of the AAF as well as XFL football. But for you specifically with, with your new position, getting rehired, what do you want to really emulate for the XFL to bring in next year to potentially help these players grow as well as to bring in the commodity and audience that is spring football? Yeah, it's about opportunities. That's how we always looked at it. Let's give players there's so many really good players out there and there's only so many spots on an NFL roster, right? The 53 and then the practice squad. And so there are a lot of players out there that, that aren't on an NFL team that probably just need that opportunity to go out and play and get on tape. And we saw, you know, whether it's the AAF, the XFL um, players played, got on tape and then ended up catching on with an NFL team. So that's what it's all about. 
And uh, from a rules perspective, we feel like we've got a really good foundation from 2020. We don't want to, you know, reinvent the wheel and change a whole bunch, but things have changed in the last two to three years and technology has changed. So can we make it even better? That's the goal. We don't have to, we, we have a good foundation and a good blueprint in place and, and there's little tweaks we think we can make to make it even more enjoyable for the fans, safer for the players and just an, a, a better experience for everyone. Absolutely. And I think some of the unique components was a lot of the microphones, more on players, more yeah. access with referees, as well as trying to understand how they're making calls, especially like in the rules off rule, if you're off site, looking at the play for instant replay, especially. And I think some of the components that I saw this weekend that were really compelling to me was the, the drone camera, as well as yeah. players actually having a camera on their helmet as another tool in that instant replay aspect. I was just wondering, what were your thoughts on those two components, especially, especially with your background in replay and officiating? Yeah, we need to, like we said about technology and how it continues to improve. And I think back to 1999 when we brought instant replay back into the NFL and it was standard definition and you had limited cameras. We didn't have things like Skycam and, 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 other, and other things, you know, that we have today, pylon cam and, and all these, these great innovations. And so when you look at drone cameras, you look at cameras on, on the helmets, officials, you know, cameras, we've put cameras on the officials in their, in their hats, um, all that, it has an aesthetic appeal for the viewer, but it also has a real benefit to, like you said, replay. It's another look, maybe the, the camera in the, you know, in the second deck on the sideline didn't get the best look, but that, but that camera that's on the officials hat or that sideline, you know, pylon camera will get the look. So, so, it goes really, it just makes the experience better for everyone. And it helps on the officiating side, us get the good looks to make, you know, better decisions. So I'm honestly intrigued by this. Do you, I don't know if you would know the exact number, but how many more views do you think that the NFL is it or XFL, USFL are able to get with these other cameras? How many more angles or shots do you think that are useful? Well, I think, and I look at like what Fox is doing with the USFL, you probably have, um, just as many cameras as you would have in any game other than maybe the Super Bowl. So they're treating this, NBC is treating this um, like, a, like an, uh, an A game, right? So there's different, there's different games, different levels. You have your A production crew, your B, C, and each crew has a different, has a different infrastructure, a different crew um, camera setup. And, uh, and so you're going to see really good, really good camera views, um, you know, kind of similar to the, the best games on Sunday during the NFL season. And you'll see that you'll see that for the XFL. And it's going to be, uh, you know, I don't know the exact, you know, each game is going to be a little bit different and each yeah. play is a little bit different. But you're going to have every opportunity to get the great look that you need. That's fantastic. Because I think especially from a, just an audience perspective and being a fan, you're able to see, just being able to see some of those views that we don't usually get to see has really opened up spring football because especially in the NFL, even the NC and college football, you get the, the refs get the views that sometimes we can't see, which has kind of been unique with how spring football has approached it, trying to showcase all of the views, how officiates officials are looking at each play and trying to interpret what the ruling is. And one thing that I want to actually go into was actually the new NFL rule that was actually announced with overtime 
with how now both teams in the postseason only that they're both going to get the ball. And I feel like, especially with how the can it pretty much became the Kansas city Buffalo rule. It felt like with how that just pretty much the game was fantastic going back and forth. And then Buffalo loses the coin toss, never got the ball. I just wanted to get your opinion on, do you think this rule is going to be a- approachable as well with how they're taking the interpretation of like almost with college that everybody gets the ball at least once. Yeah. You know, I don't think I I've always been in the camp of, I don't think you have to change over time. I like the idea of sudden death. I think you have 60 minutes to decide the game and then, you know, you, you do need an overtime system, but you have to decide, you don't want a whole bunch of ties. So you've got to figure out a winner. And the longer you go and the more possessions you give each team, the less likely, especially in the regular season, when you only have a 10 minute window, the less likely you are to get a, to get a winner. So I think that's part of the reason why they went with postseason only the numbers in the postseason related to the coin toss were, were compelling in that the team that won the toss the last 10 years as the postseason you know, the overtime rules have evolved, was winning 83% of the time. That's a high number. You'd like that to be closer to 50%. Um, So again, you know, the postseason, it's winter go home. So I'm I'm good with it in the postseason. I do think, you know, an element of sudden death is exciting. I think you have to figure out, you know, keep keep all three phases involved in the game, you know, offense, defense, special teams, um, and make sure that you you keep an element of sudden death to where the game can end on any one play, right? That's exciting. Whereas I feel like the college system, while it works, um, it's not true sudden death where you know, even on that first possession, even if it's, you know, an interception, whatever it is, the other team still is, the game's not over. And, and uh, so it works for college. I like the NFL idea of sudden death. And I think this will, this will kind of, you know, lessen the the outcry over a game like the Bills and Chiefs. And you're right. It, it, that was probably the last, you know, push that that was needed to get this passed. But, um, you know, again, I, I've, I've always liked sudden death. I've always liked sudden death as well. I just thought it was a unique component because like in so many past post seasons that, again, like you said, the numbers state that as soon as they get the ball, they're going to end up most times out of not that they're going to be the ones coming out victorious but I just kind of don't understand why the Bills Chiefs game because of how such a great game it was led to the final like being the final straw because we've had so many great postseason games and that it's finally being approached in 2022 do you just think that the I feel like the component of social media and potential backlash that it's kind of received the rule led to and also an interpretation of it being changed. I just wanted to see if you, your opinion on that. Well, there's no question that's a, a a factor. They're not going to they're not going to change rules based on fan reaction, but you have to under solely based on that. But you have to understand that those are your customers. Those are people that are watching your game, and it matters, right? It matters their opinion because they're the ones that are going to be paying money to go sit in the stands and watching games and doing different things like that and and spending money on merchandise. So it's important that you take those things into consideration, but you also have to consider, right, player safety, competitive equity, officiating consistency, all those things go into rules change discussions. Um, so I think, again, the the outcry after that game was, there It was there was a lot, right? Social media is obviously kind of, it's it certainly made that, made that a bigger deal than it was 15, 20 years ago. Um, so, but again, I think ultimately it was those postseason numbers that 83%, 
-hmm. you win the coin toss, you're winning the game. I think that ultimately, had that been closer to 50%, I don't think there would have been any change, regardless of the Bills-Chiefs, because you got to see the following week, right? The Bengals win the game um, by playing defense, getting an interception, and then, and then you know, you know, winning on that, that next possession. So it kind of cuts both ways. Absolutely. And then I know College Football instituted their new overtime rule last this past year, but I also wanted to get your take on the two-point conversion. I, I, I really don't understand it. I know they want to try and shorten the game by going to the two-yard line instead of from the 25. But at that point, wouldn't you just want to adopt the NFL path of how overtime works? Because I feel like now you're just going to be with like even last year, the Penn State-Illinois game went, what, eight overtimes? I can't remember what it exactly nine, was. Yeah, like, nine eight or nine. Yeah. And now you're just going to be breaking records because it's just one play at the two-yard line. And I know the USFL is actually taking that approach. You get three attempts from the two-yard line. Whoever has the most attempts goes from there. I just wanted to get your take on that rule yeah, as well. Yeah, the NCAA rule, that really that was really driven by, by player safety. And, mm-hmm. and so when, when you're playing 60 minutes and then you have to play – you know, I, I think back, it, it was 20, I think 2018, um, LSU and Texas A&M played a yep. game that was seven overtimes. And it was another, it felt like another three hours, but it was, it was considerable number of extra snaps that these student athletes are playing. And, and thankfully that game was late in the season and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't early September and hundred degree, hundred degree heat with a hundred percent humidity. Um, that's where you really worry about, you know, the, the safety element. So, so you think about that game, that, that Penn state, Illinois, nine overtime game. Yeah. It went nine overtimes, but the number of snaps was consistent with a two overtime game because you're only doing the one play. So it's, it kind of, I see both sides to it. I don't think college will ever go to an NFL style overtime. I think that's too drastic of a change. Um, for the college game, that's there's there's tradition and there's other things involved. It's almost like stopping the clock on a first down. Um, that's probably somewhat of an outdated rule, but I'm not sure they're going to change that anytime soon. Yeah, I agree because I know the USFL I think is adopting that rule also with under two minutes stopping yeah. the clock on. Which first makes down. sense. I like it yeah. inside two minutes, but but the whole game, 13 minutes to go in the first quarter. Why are we why are we stopping the clock? Yeah, because I feel like at that point, it's why the NFL has like I think. From I can't remember the number off the top of my head. It's almost like 30 minutes minimum shorter in basis of like time over the entire game in comparison to college. Yeah, on average. Yeah, on average, it's it's significant. It's probably closer to 15 minutes shorter on the NFL side, but mm-hmm. the colleges they're they have such a a, a wide variance. They're you know 20 percent of all FBS games were over three and a half hours last yeah. year. Where NFL, it's rare when a game goes over three and a half hours. Yeah. And I, for, I know I was actually talking to one of my buddies about this. We were talking about the one of some of the overtime rules and he brought up a unique component of saying that, like you said, the tradition of college football is not going to push the change that of the NFL going to that drastic of a change. But I feel like the play, the student athlete element, he also brought up was a huge component that they're still also this word term student athlete that, there's still player safety. You don't want to have those crucial injuries, unlike in the NFL where it's, they're doing this for a living. I just wanted to see what your take on that was with how much player safety has evolved, with, especially in college. 
Yeah, no question that that's a consideration. And in both NFL and college, again, when you think of rules, player safety is number one. That, that's always been the case as long as I've been involved. And But when you think about college, the challenge that the NCAA has with rules changes and consistency is you have different conferences. Um, you have different levels of football. So when you make a rules change, it's not just for Ohio State and Alabama, right? You're talking about Division II. You're talking about Division Three. That's a different level of, of student athlete, a different skill level, but it's the same rules. Where the NFL, right, it's 32 teams. They're all pretty much evenly in terms of even in terms of skill level. And, uh, and so you can create greater consistency. So the NCAA, it's a very challenging process, and you have to take in a lot more um, factors in terms of the level of play because, like I said, you're, you're, you're thinking about D2, D3, you know, all these other things, FBS, FCS. Um, it's not all, you know, Alabama and Georgia, and that's, and that's a challenge. Yeah, because they're, especially the smaller schools on those lower levels, they don't have as much of the opportunity as well as the entities that they get, unlike an Alabama or a Georgia where football is almost like life or death. And yeah, the resources are much different. Yeah. So now I kind of want to make a transition here because I know there was a couple of controversial calls that have taken place in this NFL season. I actually wanted to hear your breakdown of a couple of them just from the officiating standpoint. Of course, the number one one was what happened in the Dallas San Francisco playoff game where they get the ball down. They didn't hand the ball to the official time runs out. And I know it states it clearly in the official book that the official has to spot the ball for the for play to resume. I just wanted to see how, why was there so much of a disconnect from a player to the official in the rule book? Do you think there that they just didn't comprehend? Yeah. You know, that's one that teams practice all the time. Dallas practices that. No, every NFL team is going to practice that. Hurry up. That, 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 keep, you know, they talk, talk about situational football, end of game scenarios, out of timeouts. And so, you know, Dallas practiced that. It's just when the play that they ran with, with that much time remaining on the clock and no timeouts, everything had to be perfect. And if one thing goes wrong, you're not going to be able to get the ball down. And, and several things, right? That play is designed for, for the runner, whoever it is. In that instance, it was Dak, to slide sooner, not go 15, 20 yards downfield. Slide at 10 or 12, because obviously that's going to take less time off the clock. Get the ball to the official. It's going to be the umpire who's coming from the offensive backfield that's going to be trailing the play. And so if you're outside the hash, get it to the hash, wait for the official. If you're inside the hash, turn around, wait for the official. Don't give it to a teammate. And then once that happened, right, you run a little bit longer, it takes a little bit longer. The ball doesn't end up in the official's hands right away. It ends up on the ground. Now it's going to be almost impossible to get that ball spotted. And, uh, and we saw what happened. And that was just a, you know, a critical, critical situation that you just got to be perfect. And it wasn't in that time at that time. Yeah, and then when Dak hands the ball off to the center, does this the center should also I feel like the whole team on the offensive side of the ball would know in practicing those situations that the official has to touch it. Do you just think it was just a lapse of the just because of the moment or Yeah, I think that's what it is. They practice it. That's why you practice it. Because because if you don't practice it and it's just a, you know, that's why we practice fire drills in school, right? So you know what to do in a real emergency. 
And, uh, and I, you know, they just didn't get it done because even the offensive linemen, you know, that you've got to clear a path for that umpire to get to the football, to put it on the ground. And the umpire had to fight through bodies. And I think it just kind of one thing led to another. It's, it was a snowball. And uh, like I said, everything had to be perfect. And one little thing goes wrong. And then you end up with kind of what happened. Absolutely. And then the other one that I wanted to uh, bring up was what happened with Detroit Baltimore early in the season where the clock most likely should have ran out, I think, and then Justin Tucker ended up getting the 66-yard field goal to win the game, make history, et cetera. I think there was – was I don't know if it was a timing error. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but there was a little bit of controversy in that Detroit-Baltimore game towards the end. I was wondering if you could give a quick insight on that one as well. Yeah, you know, that one, there's, again, end-of-game situations are so are so critical, and you've got you've got – several people working together. You've got the officials, you've got a clock operator upstairs, the clock operator, that's the official time, right? What's on the scoreboard. They have to watch for signals. They have to make sure the officials have to rule, you know, is the player in or out of bounds at the sideline, stop the clock, wind it. You know, that's one of those deals where again, it's just at the, you got to practice that at the end of the, at the end of the game and make sure everything is perfect. And uh, you know, unfortunately, and I have a lot of, people that follow me on social media that are Lions fans. And I feel for the Lions fans because that was another situation where they were kind of on the wrong end of the wrong end of the deal. And it feels like that's something that happens to, uh, to the Lions more recently, as you think about some of the calls, but, you know, hopefully that stuff kind of evens out over time and and, uh, the Lions will be on the, on the right end of some calls here. Without question. And then before I let you go, just had a couple more things that I wanted to ask. I just wanted to see if you had like a rule change either in the college level or the NFL level that you would like to see potentially either changed, altered, and, or just anything that you have really seen this past year that you want to hopefully see some improvement upon. Yeah, well, on the college side, I mentioned it earlier. I'd really love to see from a timing perspective, just stop the clock inside two minutes on first downs. I, I feel like that's something, that rule, it was in place for, for mechanics that, are now, you know, outdated and, and the game was different when that rule went in place. So I think to continue to keep the game moving and keep the game flowing, I, I'd like to see that. On the NFL, I like what the NFL is doing with giving the officials more video assistance in real time. Um, but I just think just be transparent about it, you know, not not announce after after discussion the ruling on the field was was changed. Just say, you know, after after review. Um, it's an incomplete pass, things like that. Just be transparent. Um, keep the game moving. I like the seamless aspect of that. And just so um, we're not trying to do it, you know, behind anyone's back. We're just out there. This is what happened. We got information from from upstairs with the video and we and we changed the call and we can keep the game, you know, moving and everybody knows what happened. Yeah. And I feel that's a great point because I feel like sometimes when they're trying to change a call, it sometimes takes a little bit too long. It's almost like they're trying to find something when, especially like in a, from official perspective, if you don't see it or you can't make that a hundred percent claim, it should be the ruling on the field stands from, uh, this is how I was taught as a official anyway, but I just wanted to get your perception on that. If they sometimes are almost looking too hard to find an opportunity to switch the call sometimes in replay. Yeah, absolutely. The basic premise of replay is the call on the field is correct. 
And it has to be obvious that it's incorrect in order to make a change. And we always want to avoid being technical and trying to find and, and kind of nitpick and trying to go through it with a fine tooth comb to find something wrong. And, and, you know, what we've seen through replay and through video, you know, assistance is that the officials are, are right 90 something percent of the time. And, and so we need to have it there for that small percentage of plays where it is a mistake and it happens because the game happens so quickly and then the officials are human beings and they only have, you know, their perspective and it happens in real time and they can't run it back in slow motion. Um, and so that's what replay is for. And it should be a small percentage of plays and it should be when it's obvious and not get too technical um, when you're looking at those plays to kind of look for a mistake. I completely concur. I think, I think sometimes that the just trying to be, not trying to make a incorrect call, but trying to be as, I don't know if they're trying to be as intent as possible of trying to find something at, in moments that sometimes creates the, sometimes the replay is going five, 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 almost occasionally. Like I believe that you were, you actually were on the call for this game, the Indiana two point conversion. I think it was against Penn state when he hits the pylon on the two point yeah, conversion yeah. and they were almost seamlessly trying to look for like five, 10 minutes to see if the ball had fallen out when he had already called it on the field that it, it was that he had hit the most, most of the time you'll know when it's going to stand, right? You'll, you'll see it. That play is was so close mm -hmm. and you had to look right down the line. And if you couldn't change it with that look, there wasn't going to be any other view that gave you any other answer than the call in the field stands. But sometimes in a situation like that, it's the end of the game. This, this is the game ending. The replay official doesn't want to, you know, have something come up later to say, Hey, we had another angle. They're trying to exhaust all the resources. And I understand that, but there are most of the time, you know, Hey, that's the look. It's so close. We're not going to change it. And uh, it is what it is, you know, the ruling on the field stands. Absolutely. And then the last thing I wanted to ask you, Dean, was what are your expectations a little bit for the rest of the spring football season of what is now the USFL for this year? And then you guys will be included in that next year. But what do you want to see, hopefully, because they, they had millions of views. The turnout was relatively great, depending on Fox or NBC, depending on views, et cetera. Because, again, as you mentioned, we all love our football, but what do you want to see throughout the rest of this uh, season to see if that to potentially coin spring football as a success in 2022? Yeah, I'm just I'm I'm just interesting interested to see how it all plays out this this spring. Um, you know, I I think like I said, the appetite is there. I'd love to get through a full season, and uh, and then we'll get going. You know, we're already looking at looking at things for the XFL and rules, and we've got meetings and. And, uh, and so I'll be watching the USFL and seeing how they're doing and hopefully, you know, get through the whole season and, and, and keep that fan engagement because all that means is that people want spring football. And, uh, and so that, that makes us exciting, excited for, for next spring 2023. Without question, uh, Dean, I want to thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule and joining me today on the final whistle sports podcast. I just wanted to, Remember, please go follow all of his content. Go follow him, watch him on Fox Sports. 
he does great work on for the NCAA as well as for the NFL and rules analysts. And now you got to be tuned in even more for 2023 when he's going to be overseeing the XFL when it comes to officiating. Dean, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Everybody enjoy the rest of your day. That was another edition of the Final Whistle Sports Podcast.